Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bibles in the pew in front of you, it'll be found on page 857. It's Matthew 9, 35 through 38, and I'll be reading from the King James Version. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. We hope that your being with us as we worship is an encouragement to you as it is to us, and we pray that most of all, that it is pleasing to God. We hope that you'll be able to come back many, many times and be with us. This weekend is an exciting weekend. We never want to say that we're emphasizing something to say that at other times of the year it ought to be de-emphasized. Not that at all. But yet at the same time, sometimes we develop better habits, more righteous habits, and become more serious about something when for a period of time we place an emphasis upon it. And that's our goal for the next 50 days. Many of you have already participated this weekend in the events of the weekend as we had a prayer day yesterday where for 17 hours prayers were led on the hour. Some of those prayers lasted 15, 20 minutes. Others lasted 45, 50, 55 minutes. I suppose a total of 12, 13, 14 hours of prayer almost was said here. And the interesting thing is because every one of you were prayed for by name, because every ministry was prayed for in detail, and because all of the prayer requests that you have requested previously were prayed about yesterday, none of the prayers were duplications. You could have sat through the prayers all day long, and it was a new petition to the Almighty God every hour. How awesome God is to not tire and not grow weary of our asking, but instead, He would say, continue doing it. Now, this is exciting. What we did for 17 hours yesterday, we can continue to do as a group for the next 50 days. All of you should have already received a card. It may be a different color than the one I'm holding. There are seven colors of cards. If you will take those cards, and probably 99% of those cards have 10 things listed on them. If your card, because of some of the prayer requests, the length of the request, there may be less on some of your cards, and that's okay. But if you'll take your card that probably has 10 things on them, and as we read together there, Psalms 55 and verse 17 says, Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Let's do that for the next 50 days. Will you take the card that you have and will you pray those 10 concerns, those 10 situations or individuals or organizations that need our petitions, the best that you know of the individual or the situation, will you pray to God three times a day for the next seven days? 
If you would like to pray for ten other things the following week, you can bring your card back and you can place it in some little clear boxes. They're on the three tables scattered throughout the foyer, and you can choose a different color card. Now, even if you choose the same color card, odds are you'll still receive ten different things. But if you want to guarantee that you have ten different things, just choose a different color card. Pray those ten things over the next seven days, 21 times, and bring it back again and exchange it again. We'll do this for seven weeks, and over those seven weeks, if at least 335 of you participate, we will offer 50,000 prayers over the next 50 days. We'll pray for over 500 things individually. Yesterday... It literally required 17 hours for us to do this. Collectively, we can do this with three brief prayers each day. Can you imagine when we follow God's plan where He says, I want you to continue asking me. Don't tire. Don't grow weary of asking me. Can you imagine how God is going to prosper and bless these prayer requests. Let's all do that over the next 50 days. By the way, way, next Sunday when you come back in and you say to yourself when you see that little clear box, I forgot to bring back my card. That's all right. Take another card, and if you think about it, bring it back next week. But we'll have extra cards, but still the idea is to exchange them. So if you can remember, bring back your card. If you'd like to sign the back of the card, so another person that receives it later will receive encouragement to know that those things have been prayed, that would be a wonderful idea. Secondly, you're holding in your hand, hopefully also, a track, a brochure that contains 50 prayer in the Scripture. Now, you probably are well aware of the fact that there are much more than 50 prayers in the Scripture. But there are 50 prayers listed on the inside of this. Let's all accept the challenge this morning that we will read one of the Scriptures each day of a prayer. And we'll read that prayer however many times it takes us to learn something new about prayer, to appreciate something new about that passage of prayer. Surely it will motivate us to pray in some particular way. And after we've read that passage, it might be a wonderful time to also reach over for our card. And as that Scripture motivates us to pray, and as we pray for those ten things, how wonderful would that be to do each day? Hopefully many of our families get together on a daily basis and study and pray together. This would be a wonderful exercise for the next 50 days to challenge ourselves as families as often as possible to sit down and we can pray each other's cards and we can read the Scripture together and we can talk about what we can learn about prayer from that particular Scripture. Now, we don't want to overload, but it was so successful last year, we just can't leave out one more thing that begins tomorrow. You remember, tomorrow is the day that we start listing ten things for which we are grateful. Tuesday, we'll list ten more, but none of the same that was on Monday. Wednesday, ten more, but none of the same on Monday and Tuesday. And we keep our list running. Keep it before you. And when you reach Wednesday before our national holiday of Thanksgiving, you will have a list of 100 things for which you are thankful 
What a blessing that exercise was to so many of us last year. That too is something that we can be doing over the next 10 or 11 days. And that too is something that we can include in our prayers. This morning we've had read for us a beautiful passage where Jesus referred to the opportunity to save souls. And of all the ways that He referred to this saving of souls, He called it a harvest. Now any of you that grew up in an agricultural world, that is natural and it's understandable, but we can't assume that all of us would understand this. Now please note, I want you to know right up front, I'm not preaching you this lesson because I love agriculture. If you know me, you know that I do. But that's not why I'm preaching this lesson. And I think you'll see in just a moment. So even if you don't have an appreciation for farming, will you please think with me for just a moment? God uses the fact of harvest so often through the Scriptures that if we're going to understand what God wants us to understand about some of the passages in the Scriptures, we're going to have to gain at least an appreciation for the idea of a harvest. Now, I grew up sitting on the front porch of a country store. I grew up sitting in my uncle's old country store around the little black stove that sat in the middle. I grew up sitting on my grandparents' Shannon front porch and my grandparents' Armstrong front porch, and I grew up talking to all of their brothers and sisters. And there was always something common in their stories. How exciting harvest time was to the family. You know, many people in America back a few generations ago did not have the abundance that you and I have today. And I've heard many in those little communities talk about how when they were kids, they were excited for harvest because that's when they were able to buy their one pair of new shoes each year. That's when the little girls had their one new Sunday dress for the year. That's when a little bit extra candy was purchased at the old general store that was never purchased any other time of the year. Friends, it's not just a few generations ago that people looked at harvest and they grew excited and they were thankful and and they celebrated and they worked hard. But when we go all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament, we see that that also is the imagery of harvest. As we begin this lesson, let's play a little word association game for just a moment, and we're going to look to the Scriptures for answers of the idea of harvest. One thing that would immediately come to mind as we study the Scriptures is we would realize that the harvest was a time of crops to be brought out of the field and into the place in the lives of individuals so that they could be productive, so that they could be consumed, so that they could be sold. A second thing that we see from harvest in the Scriptures is that the time that fruits were ripe, it's that idea of if you picked it too early, it was sour. If you picked it too late, it was rotten. But if you picked it at harvest time, it was fresh, it was delicious. Harvest was an exciting time because things just tasted better at harvest. 
A third thing we see, it was the time of produce. It was the time to gain increase. All year long, the farmers would work the land. They would prepare. They would sweat. They would toil and sometimes even bleed for that one time a year when it paid off. It was the time for production to be made, gathering to be consumed, increase to be theirs. You see, in the Scriptures we learn that harvest was the most important season out of all the four seasons. You see, we might say, I love the springtime. You know, it doesn't matter how beautiful the spring was if the harvest wasn't productive. It doesn't matter how beautiful the summer was if the harvest wasn't productive. And so, to the Scriptures and to the farmer, harvest, whatever time of year it was, was the most important time of the year in our own country's history. We go back and we look at the beginning of Thanksgiving, the national holiday. And when do we celebrate it? the time of year of harvest. Why? Because our forefathers wanted to show gratitude to neighbors and to God for an abundant harvest. How did they come up with this idea? Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Exodus, the 23rd chapter. Exodus, the 23rd chapter. We're about to read where God gave a law and in this particular aspect of the law, he speaks of three feasts that are to take place. Let's read, beginning at Exodus, the 23rd chapter, we're going to read 14, 15, and 16, and you can pick out these three times a year. Beginning at 14, three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. Now let's go ahead and set the stage. What was a feast? It was a time to remember, to reflect, to know where all of these blessings came from spiritual and physical. It was a time to celebrate. It was a time to give praise and glory to God. It was a time to rest from some hard labor. It was a time to enjoy what God had given. Let's read on. Verse 15. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. And then he explains. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days, as I command you at the time appointed in the month of Bib. And for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. A second. And the feast of harvest. The first fruits. We studied about that back in September. The first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field. And a third one. The feast of ingatherings at the end of the year when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. It's not on the slide, but verse 17. Three times in the year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God. Three times a year, the Jews had to go and make the male Jews had to make their presence before the tabernacle, before the presence of God. Three times a year were so important times where God was saying, I want you to remember a few things. I want you to count spiritual and physical blessings. I want this time of festivities, this time of celebration to be a time that reminds you of the things that you ought to be happy about, you ought to be thankful for. Well, the first one that he mentions there is the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the day of Passover. You remember that that's when the blood was on the doorpost and death passed over Israel and all of Egypt's firstborn died. The seven days after Passover was to be the day of the unleavened bread. 
And so, or the feast of the unleavened bread. And for those seven days, leaven would be placed out of the house. It was the idea of purity. Look how God has released us from the bondage of sin. That's interesting that that also took place at the same time as the barley harvest. Spiritual blessings, physical blessings, mixed into the same celebration. And he says, bring those offerings to me. God doesn't want them to forget how they were free from the bondage of sin or how they obtained the meals that they were eating that very day. We also see the second one in verse 16, here called the Feast of Harvest, other places even called the Feast of Weeks. You see, after Passover, keep in mind Jesus died during the Passover, after Passover, seven weeks would go by. And that's why it was called the Feast of Weeks. Seven weeks would pass, and then after that, one more day would be Pentecost, a one-day festival. This day of celebration was when the church began. Fifty days after Christ died, the church began, and in Acts 2 it tells us it was the day of Pentecost. This was an important day because this was a day to honor the giving of the law by Moses, and it's interesting that the church began on that day also, where God gave us so much knowledge of the church and of Christianity. But then also, we know that this also was the same time of the wheat harvest. Again, the combination of spiritual things and physical things. And then in the third one, the Feast of Ingatherings, also referred to as the Feast of Booths. It came at the latter part of the year. Very similar to this time of year. Now, spiritually for them, it was the idea... Now, this is going to seem strange to us, but it should encourage us to realize how important it is to God for His people to remember. Some of us wouldn't like this at all. Right now, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but if I ask you to raise your hand, do you enjoy camping out? Some of you, oh, you'd raise your hand and say, who does not enjoy camping out? And boy, there'd be some of you. I mean, you know, you hate it. You know why you hate it is because it's not convenient. You know what God said? He said, I don't care if you like camping out or not. Once a year, I want you to build this little lean-to. I want you to weave branches together. That's your lean-to. And I want you to live in that booth for seven days. And I want you to think about your forefathers that lived in the wilderness for 40 days. It was their rebellion that put them in their booth, and it was the Almighty God that sustained them while they were in that tent out in the wilderness. And God says, I don't want you to ever forget that, that I'm the one that sustains life. Even if you're in the middle of the wilderness, I'm your Almighty God. And remember that every year. And do you think it was a coincidence that it also took place at the final harvest of the year? When all of the, the fruits on the tree and on the branch were coming right, God says, I want you to remember how I sustain your life. It was the feast of ingatherings. Bring in your shears, Bring in your crops and celebrate with God. God loves harvest time. Harvest is one of those occasions where God and man become partners. Where God says, I'll work with man. If man wants to prepare the fields, I'll work with him. If man wants to sow the seeds, I'll work with him. I'll send the rain. I'll put life in the seed. 
If man wants to make sure that there's a harvest there and go out and work that harvest, I'll work with him. How many of you are saved by your own merit? How many of us are saved because we've worked along with God? God's done His part. And we've done our part. Friends, in that sense, we all become like farmers. Where we say, God, I want to take part in your harvest. I want a reaping in my life that's out of this world. I want you to do something for me that I can't do for myself. And so this morning, in just the last few minutes that we have, let's go to our text in Matthew, the ninth chapter. And let's notice something, because now, hopefully, we have a greater appreciation for the word harvest. It was something beautiful. It's something wonderful. It's something to celebrate. It was something that God said, don't ever forget it. When good things come to a harvest in your life, stop and reflect upon it. Give me the praise and the honor, and let's share in this celebration together. And so Jesus sees a time when there's a harvest available, and I want you to imagine like a farmer looking over a 10,000-acre cornfield, and he's saying, if somebody would just harvest that. Look at the beautiful crop. If somebody could just harvest it. Nobody else could see the harvest that Jesus saw that day in Matthew the ninth chapter. Nobody else could feel the need to do something about the harvest that Jesus felt that day. Apparently no one was doing what Jesus wanted them to do. And this morning as we reflect on our harvest, let's also learn a lesson about how to reap the most in the harvest. And let's realize that the first thing we have to do is see what Jesus could see. Notice again in verse 36 here, he says, Matthew 9, but when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them. Now skipping down, he said in 37, the harvest truly is plentiful. Isn't it amazing that Jesus could see what others could not see? And we have to stop and ask ourselves, why could Jesus see it, but they couldn't see it? Jesus had involved His life in individuals. It was relationships that was the driving, that was the driving force in Jesus' life. His relationship with God and His relationship with others. If you have your Bible open, you see back in the very beginning of Matthew 9... He spent time healing a paralytic. If we skip down into verse 9, we see that he was calling Matthew, the tax collector, Levi, to follow him. He saw an individual that others couldn't see, and the scribes and Pharisees couldn't even believe that he would see him as a potential harvest. We skip down to verse 18, and we see a woman, a little girl that's going to be resurrected from the dead, and as Jesus is trying to take care of that situation, another woman is grasping at him so that she can be healed from her issue of blood. And you can imagine Jesus, okay, I've got to resurrect this girl. Who is that that touched me? What is this that's happening? And then we read on a few more verses, 27, and we see that he's healing two blind men, and we read down a few more verses, and we see that he's letting a, a mute man speak again. What's the point? That leads us to verse 35 where Jesus went about all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sick and every disease among the people. No wonder verse 36 says, but when He saw the multitude, 
Jesus spent His life looking at individuals and at multitudes. Friends, here we are. Isn't it ironic that we're coming to the time of year where we think in thanksgiving, and then the day after that we think materialistic? The biggest shopping day of the year. If my mind becomes consumed with things and with self, with materialism, I will never see the individual that's pulling at my garment saying, can you help me? I'll never see the town that I live in as a potential harvest. I'll never be able to see a Latin American country or a city just down the road a few hours as a place where souls need to be reached. When I see through Jesus' eyes, I see that the most important things on this earth are relationships. It's relationships with God, it's relationships with my family, and it's relationship with the stranger that lives down the road that needs to be harvested. What did he feel? The very next verse, or the, verse 36, the next phrase, says, when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them. Now, why was he moved with compassion? It says, because they were weary and scattered like sheep that did not have a shepherd. You know, compassion literally means to feel the pain of another. Jesus looked over at a potential harvest. He felt their pain. What did he feel? He said, these people are tired of living without God. They may not know it, but they are. These people are scattered. Is that a compliment to any relationship? Hey, how you doing? Fine. How's your relationship with your wife? Scattered. How's your relationship with your kids? Scattered. How's your relationships at work? Scattered. How's your relationship with God? Scattered. Jesus looks over the harvest and something breaks his heart. What breaks his heart? John tells us that Jesus looked and said, they're just all to pieces. Their life is falling apart. How long does a sheep last without a shepherd? Not very long. They don't do very well at finding their own food and they definitely can't protect themselves. And so a sheep without a shepherd is a setting duck to die very soon. Jesus looks over the harvest and He says, okay, it's time. We can go in and we can save a lot of people or we can lose them because they're at that point. What are we going to do? What do you feel? There are people within a few miles of us, a lot of people, they got up today, and they got an emptiness inside, and they don't really know why. They're having burdens with some of their relationships because they're not living for God, and they don't understand why the relationship is like that. Can you look at your neighbor that's in, that is struggling and feel nothing? I can tell you whether or not you do. 
and I can get Bible to back it up. Somebody responds to the Lord's invitation. And a hundred or two hundred people come down and hug them and congratulate them. And another few hundred go out the back door and wouldn't dream of coming down and celebrating with them. The ones that go out the back door probably are the same ones that don't care how their neighbor feels. You see, Jesus was standing in the midst of individuals and they didn't see what He saw and they didn't feel what He felt. And you know what? Jesus looks at them and says, My heart's breaking. They're weary. They're scattered. They're like a sheep without a shepherd. And some others say, well, I, don't, I don't feel anything. How are we supposed to feel when we look at dying people spiritually? The Lord says, It moved me with compassion. Well, how are we supposed to do, and be turning, if you will, to Luke, the 15th chapter, how are we supposed to do when that lost is found? We don't have time to develop it, but you probably know Luke 15 pretty well. There's three stories. All three stories have a few things in common. Something that was lost was found. The ones that searched for the one that was lost sought diligently, and when the one was found, everybody was called in to rejoice. First, we have a sheep in the first seven verses that is lost. The 99 are left, and that one shepherd, he searches and searches until he finds him, picks him up, put him on his neck, and he goes back, and he, verse 5, after laying it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I've lost my sheep. I found my sheep which was lost. And I say to you that likewise there would be more joy in heaven. The next one, there's one coin lost. The woman lights her lantern. She sweeps the floor. She searches until she finds it. And she rejoices and says in verse 9, I'm going to call my friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me. And even says in 10, because the angels of heaven are rejoicing. The next one is the lost son. The father looks down the road. He sees him. He runs to him rejoicing, hugging his neck, kissing him calling for the robe, the ring, the shoes, the fatted calf to be killed because there is going to be a festivity there today. The one that was dead is now alive. He says in verse 10, and I want you to notice, this is God's words, not mine. Verse 32, It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and is lost and is found. If God says something's right, to not do it is wrong. Period. When I see things the way Jesus sees things, I see harvest. And when that harvest is not being gathered, I feel what Jesus feels. And it breaks my heart to see people that aren't saved. And when the saved are found, I rejoice because that is the right thing to do. Rejoice and be merry. What's the point? Friends, it's compassion that drives us. It's a love for God and compassion. Loving God so much that it breaks our heart or that we rejoice and are glad when the one comes home. But then finally, notice what he did. What he did was he prayed. Look there again in, in Matthew the ninth chapter where he said in verse 37, then he says to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. Over and over, he's using the word harvest there. And what's interesting to me is this. Jesus couldn't do it on His own. You know what? There's nobody in this church that can do it on their own. There's not even a small group of people in this church that can do it on their own. We need labors. 
We need more and more laborers because there's 6.2 billion people in this earth. We're living in a city that's growing faster than what we can even reach the ones in our own neighborhood. What do we need? We need to be humble enough to realize what Jesus realized. Jesus says, I can't reach them all. We need to partner up with God, the Lord of harvest, and we need to pray that He will send laborers to us. Harvest. A time of prayer. A time of reflection. A time of joy. A time of celebration. As we close this lesson, I want to reflect with you just a few things that Andrew has already mentioned some of them. Why should we celebrate today? Why should we offer songs and prayers of thanksgiving? Over 30 folks baptized into Christ this year. One is worth celebrating, the Lord told us. What's it worth with over 30? Almost 40 restored. What's it worth over 70? Babies have been born into our families. New members have come. A contribution of over 100000 A building added to our property. Another lot behind the playground has been added to our property. A new nursery class. A new three-year-old class. New adult classes this year. The Lord has allowed us to co-work with Him to see increase in Fayetteville, Georgia, Uslatan, El Salvador, see seeds sown in Maryville, Tennessee, all this year. He's allowed us to see a, a beginning of a high school training program called Foundations that, that has just begun this year and is already reaping tremendous harvest. He's given us a bus the opportunity to advertise on television. He's given us some of our greatest days this year and a Friends Day and other days. This year we've had our largest summer camp, some of our largest retreats, our largest VBS. It goes on and on and on with the things just this year that God has given us. Harvest Sunday. It's not our idea. It's God's. Oh, not that it has to be a particular Sunday. But the idea of celebrating harvest with God's has been His since the beginning. I'd like to extend the invitation by reading Jeremiah, the 8th chapter and verse 20. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. That's what Jeremiah was saying to Israel. It was the doom and destruction prophecy that he was giving them. Isn't it a terrible thing when we wake too late? This morning, we're in a congregation that's been blessed with abundant harvest, but that doesn't mean that each individual's life is right with God. And so we extend the Lord's invitation Harvest is here. It's the time to gather. It's the time to be right with God. Let's not wait until it passed, until summer's ended. And then it could be said of us, and we're not saved. If you haven't been baptized into Christ for remission of sins, won't you do that today? If you have been baptized into Christ, but somewhere along the way you've, you've left God and you're not reaping the harvest of faithful life, the only reason any of us are saved, the only way that we're saved is by God's grace and by the blood of Jesus Christ. The question here this morning is not who's perfect. 
None of us are. Question is, have you been forgiven? You see, that is what makes the difference in the harvest. God's forgiveness. If you need to reap this morning, God's harvest, His forgiveness. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.